our reading this evening comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a church Bible, Ben is coming from the back with those. You can put your hand up and he will make sure one of those gets to you. Uh, the reading, if you're in the church Bible, comes on page 1144, 1144. And we're going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 18 and read through to chapter 2, verse 5. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is God's word. Brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Should we pray as we come to God's word? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who speaks. And Father, we thank you that your word is powerful, uh, that it has the power to bring dead people to life, and the power to transform people into the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, thank you that you speak to us now through your word. Please uh, do your work in us as we look at this passage together, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, like Steve has already said, uh, this evening we are ending our little kind of series thinking uh, about being mission-minded uh, as we've uh, been thinking and doing these things, kind of building towards Easter weekend, uh, a, a wonderful opportunity uh, to share the gospel with other people, and, and then a passion for life that is going on around the country as churches uh, share and spread the gospel in their local communities and contexts. Uh, we wanted to spend a bit of time uh, thinking about what mission is, what, what we're doing when we talk about mission. What is it that we're trying to achieve? How do we go about doing it? What should be our mindset? Why are we even bothering in the first place? Those are some of the questions that we thought about over the past three or so weeks. But as we've done that, as we thought about what it means to uh, to share the gospel about uh, the place of prayer in that and, and what actually is the gospel, the message that we're sharing. As we've done all of that, I wonder if you if you've found yourself asking either over the last few weeks or just in your life, uh, why can't the, the Christian message, the gospel, just be a little bit more persuasive? If you're a Christian here this evening and you've tried to, to share the gospel with someone else... Have you ever thought, why can't, why can't this message, this, this good news, be more of a kind of knock-down argument, the kind of top trump in, in any debate, so that, that when you explain it, you automatically win? That would make evangelism, mission, all this stuff so much easier, wouldn't it, if we, if we knew that the message was just a little bit more persuasive? Or, or not perhaps the message, what about the church? Have you ever thought, uh, if, only, if only the church was a bit more impressive, if only we had a few more high flyers in our, in our congregation, if only the pastors would listen to a few more TED Talks, uh, then, then maybe, maybe we'd have more of an impact on our community. Maybe I'd have more confidence to, to bring my friend along to meet you lot. Why hasn't God made the message more persuasive? Why hasn't he filled his church with more impressive people. That would make the whole mission thing a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? I reckon we've probably asked those sorts of questions at some point. And actually, wanting to seem impressive is nothing new for the church. In fact, it's the issue of impressiveness that Paul is talking to these Christians in Corinth about as he writes this letter to them. Like most of us, the Corinthians, they, they wanted to seem impressive to the watching world. They, they wanted to seem powerful in the world's eyes. And for them, the answer was primarily to look to their leaders. They thought that power was found in people, in clever arguments and stylish preaching. But as we're going to see this evening, as you might have picked up from the reading, Paul says they've got it all wrong. He wants to remind the Corinthians and he wants to remind us where true power is found. When it comes to mission, where is the, the power, the source of the power as we speak? And the surprising thing that he says in these chapters is that it's not found in, in impressive arguments or flashy speakers, but in the very foolish-looking message of the cross. That's the first thing that we see, a foolish message. 
Uh, just look back at verse 18, the beginning of our passage with me. It, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says, to, to the unbelieving world around us, this gospel, this message of the cross is foolish. And you don't have to look very hard to see that that's often true, do you? Uh, whether it's something like Monty Python or The Simpsons or, or, or the latest stand-up comedian, it's pretty clear that, that most of society think that the Christian message is frankly a bit pathetic, just a little bit useless, outdated, laughable. Maybe you've experienced that personally. Uh, you've had that experience of trying to talk to someone about uh, what it is you believe about Jesus. And you're met with that sort of pitying look. The look that says, well, surely you don't really actually believe that stuff, do you? At least not anymore. Maybe, maybe when you were a child, but, but you can't be that naive or that unintelligent to actually think that what the Bible says is true. Whether it's the world, the media, our culture, our friends, these people, most people think what we believe this evening is foolish. Of course, some people might be more polite about it than others, but, but generally speaking, that's what they think. But why that reaction? Why is it, what is it about the message of Jesus that is considered so foolish by so many people. Well, Paul says here that one of the big reasons is that it's really just not what the world is looking for. Look at verse, down at verse 22. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. The Jews of Paul's day, they, they couldn't accept the idea of a crucified Christ. Those two things were incompatible. They, they didn't really go together. For, for the Jews, to, to be the Christ was to be the, the promised, heroic, rescuing, all-powerful king. And so can you see, when you attach the word crucified to Christ, well, it doesn't really make any sense. It changes things. It would it, be a bit like if I told you this evening that I was a billionaire. If I told you that, then... Perhaps you'd be quite impressed. Maybe you might want to get to know me after the service. But, but then imagine I told you that I'm a bankrupt billionaire. <laughs> I'm laughable now. That, that, that changes things, doesn't it? Suddenly I'm not quite as impressive. Now you might think, well, I'm just a bit of a fool. The kind of person who can lose billions of pounds is not worth listening to. It doesn't go together, and that's what's going on here. Verse 23, Paul says the message of Christ crucified is a, is a stumbling block to the Jews. It, it doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous, laughable, foolish. It's not the kind of Christ they're looking for. And people today are just the same, aren't they? They want the, the miraculous or the powerful or the impressive they want victory. They want to be told, oh, you can be all that you want to be. You can do all that you want to do. They don't want a weak, crucified Christ. They don't want a, a, a hero, a, a Christ that says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. No. The Jews, 
look for those things, but it's not what they're looking for. And then Paul says the Greeks or the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they look for wisdom. In other words, these are the ones that, that are impressed by style, by looking good and sounding impressive. And so the message of the cross, again, is just, it's just a bit weak. It's foolish to them. And again, people are the same today. We are often far more impressed, aren't we, by style than substance. It's why film stars and celebrities are able to speak on subjects they know very little about, and yet millions of people will listen to them. It's why politics is often more about personality than character. We're all about worldly power, worldly wisdom, and so the message of the cross is just foolish. That's what many people then and now think, but Paul says here that that is not actually the reality. It's not the reality because, verse 18 again, to those who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. You see, when someone becomes a Christian, it's like their their thinking is turned upside down. We've been seeing this in Mark's gospel, haven't we? What what was once a, a ridiculous message about a religious bloke that died a very long time ago suddenly becomes the glorious message of Christ dying for the forgiveness of their sins. It becomes the the message of how someone can be brought from death to life, from sinner to child of God. You'll know this in your own experience, won't you? The, The cross goes from being this pretty insignificant, irrelevant piece of information to the most significant, most relevant message that anyone could possibly hear. And so as we've seen over these weeks thinking about mission, when the gospel, when this message is preached, God opens our eyes to the truth, to to the reality that the message speaks of. Our thinking is turned upside down. And we come to see, verse 25, that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In other words, God shows us that it doesn't matter how intelligent or or strong we think we are. We suddenly see that we are not wise enough or, or strong enough to save ourselves. We see that without the cross, this thing that we, we laughed at as foolish, without it, we are lost. That's the irony that Paul is pointing out in these verses. Because in choosing the cross is the means to save people, God is deliberately excluding worldly wisdom. He's excluding those who think they can save themselves through their own cleverness. That's the point of the the little Isaiah quote there in verse 19, to show that through the cross, God destroys the wisdom of the wise. He frustrates the intelligence of the intelligent. Verse 20, the the wise man, the the scholar, the philosopher, they all thought that they were above the cross. But in thinking that, they were rejecting the only way to salvation. And so God shows them that in the end, they are the fools. And so at the start of this evening, we've got to get our heads around this. We've got to to get our, our thinking the right way round. Because when it comes to mission and evangelism and sharing the gospel and all those things, it can, it can be so tempting, can't it, to, to just give people what they want to hear. 
out of a desire to, to be acceptable in our community, to be liked and thought well of, even out of a desire for people to start coming along to church, it can be tempting to, to slightly change what appears to be a bit of a foolish-sounding message. It can be tempting, can't it, to, to kind of hide the cross and talk up the things that we think sound a little bit more impressive. How do we do that? Well, I think we, I certainly do it like this. Sometimes we talk more about numbers than the cross. Because surely when people came, if they, if they just saw how full this room is on a Sunday morning, then they'd be impressed. Then they'd realize that the church isn't dead and just for people that uh, are old and, and used to go for, for a long time. Or perhaps we talk more about Perhaps we talk about more about the community than we do about the cross. Because everyone likes community, don't they? You can see it can be subtle, but in wanting to seem impressive, we, we can make this Corinthian mistake of talking about everything, whether it's numbers or community or activities, whatever it is, everything, except for Jesus. But Paul says no. No, don't forget where the power is. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified because, end of verse 24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. True power, true wisdom is found in nothing other than the message of Christ crucified. And so that is the message we must stick to, whatever the world might think of it. God's power is seen in the foolishness of this message, but also it's seen in the foolishness of the messengers. Earlier in, in chapter 1, we see that the Corinthians, they were boasting in their human leaders. And it becomes clear as the letter goes on that, that much of that boasting is a bit of a kind of self-centered power play. They didn't just want an impressive message, they wanted to seem impressive themselves. And so in verse 26, Paul reminds them of who they were before they came to Christ. He reminds them that they were nothing impressive at all. Chris looked at this passage a few weeks ago, but just look at verse 26 again with me. Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Paul reminds the Corinthians that before they became Christians, lots of them were nobodies in the world. They weren't influential, they weren't noble, they weren't considered wise or strong. That's not to say that God isn't interested in people with money or influence. He's very clear the gospel is for all types of people, whatever their background or place in society. There were some in the Corinthian church who were very wise and very powerful and very wealthy indeed. Now, Paul's point is to remind the Corinthians that most of them were nothing special. Most of them were lowly in the world's eyes. But here's the key. It was, it was precisely in their lowliness, their nothingness, that God demonstrated his power and grace. Verse 27, he says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. In choosing these lowly Christians, again, God flips the world's thinking on its head. Because in Corinthian society, just like in society today, people valued those with influence and power. It was the rich and famous, the the talented and successful that were elevated. They were put on a pedestal and praised. Whilst the weak and the worthless, the plain and the boring, they, they were the ones who were cast aside, who were ignored. That's how the world worked, but it's not how God works. And Paul says God deliberately chooses the weak and the foolish nobodies. He deliberately chooses to lift up the lowly. And he does it, verse 29, so that no one can boast before him. So that no one can come and say that they deserved God's favor more than anyone else. Because Paul wants, he wants the Corinthians to grasp the fact that, that whatever the world says about success or status or achievement or whatever it is, it really doesn't matter who you are in God's eyes. It doesn't matter where you were born, what kind of upbringing you had, what you've achieved or not achieved in your life, how big your Instagram following is. None of that matters because in the end, none of us deserve God's favor. However wise or important or talented or successful we think we are, Paul says the reality is we are foolish rebels before God. And that's true for each of us this evening. If you're a Christian here this evening, then you didn't become a Christian because unlike your neighbor, you had the intelligence to work it all out. You didn't become a Christian because you, more than anyone else, knew what it was to live a a successful, good, pleasing life to God. No, we became Christians because we recognized that without God, we're hopeless. We become Christians when we see that, that we've earned nothing except for God's anger and his judgment. As we thought about this morning in Mark's Gospel, we, we become Christians when we recognize that inside our hearts are rotten and so apart from Christ we are lost. We became Christians when we came to God as lowly, nothing, with empty hands to receive his mercy and grace. Christians are people who know they have earned nothing and yet received everything by God's grace. And so again, that is the the, the sad irony of what is going on for these Corinthians is that they are grasping after worldly status and worldly wisdom when in reality, they have been given those things in Christ. Verse 30 says, It's because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Far from earning God's favor because of some sort of status or, or influence, and therefore boasting in ourselves, it's at the cross that we are given wisdom, given righteousness, given holiness and redemption. And so the only boast that anyone can ever have is not in ourselves, but in God. And so can you see God's power is not only seen in the foolishness of the message, but also in the foolishness, the weakness 
of the ones who bring it. That was true for the Corinthians, and it was also true for Paul. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and, and so it was with me. Brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Paul says, look, the, the reason I lacked sophistication, the reason I, I lacked impressiveness that the Corinthians loved so much is because I didn't want my, my preaching to be a distraction from my message. You see, Paul is clear from the, from the rest of his writing. He could have come to Corinth with brilliant oratory. He could have performed powerful signs. Those things were available to him, but he says he chose not to do those things. He avoided them because he didn't want these worldly Corinthians to be impressed by Paul. He didn't want them to go away praising Paul for his amazing speaking gifts. Now he wanted the result of his ministry to be that the Corinthians would know nothing except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to keep Christ front and center. And so he says to verse 2, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And again, that's something that we need to keep reminding ourselves of as a church, isn't it? Because all these, all these worldly values, they, they filter into our thinking. They filter in so much that we can worry that, that simply preaching Christ isn't going to be enough. And so, so we wonder, how, how, can we, how can we dress it up a bit? Maybe if we can, if we can kind of put it in a nice package, then, then people will be more wowed, more, more impressed by this message. That can look like all sorts of things again, can't it? It, it might mean us thinking that we just need to have a, a good modern building and a, and a vibrant atmosphere. We need to make sure the coffee is nice and the music is professional. If we get those things, if we get the packaging right, then, well, then King's Church will be full every week. Of course, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a good building, nice coffee and good music. They're all good and worthwhile things. But it's when we think that those things are the, the key to success, when we think that those things will make all of the difference, that's when we're forgetting where the true power is. Chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. As we said at the beginning, Paul wants us to remember that, that in the end, true power isn't found in the messenger. It's not found in their apparent status or cleverness or ability to speak or anything else. It's not found in, in a well-organized attractive evangelistic event it's not found in a slick sunday service or an entertaining youth work now he says true power belongs to god god who in the power of his spirit takes weak people like paul and he uses them to proclaim the life transforming message of christ crucified why does he do this why use weak and foolish people why use the lowly to proclaim his message? 
verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. All Paul did was present a message. Nothing more. It was God who did the real work in the lives of the Corinthians. It was God who, by the power of his Spirit, opened their blind eyes to the truth about Christ. It was God who gave them their faith. And so again, if you're a Christian here this evening, then it's because of God. It's because of his power at work in you, not not because of any sort of human wisdom. It's not because you heard someone's clever argument or you saw an impressive presentation that you were converted. No, it was God. It was God by his spirit. He used the weak and unimpressive activity of someone sharing, of someone speaking the gospel to you. Whether that was from the front of a church or in a conversation, God used someone's fumbling efforts to explain the message of Christ to bring you to new life. God's power is seen in the weakness, the lowliness, the foolishness of his messengers. Which means as we, as we come to a close uh, both this evening and, and as of our kind of serious thinking about mission and, and as we think about all the conversations we might have, all the opportunities that we're prayed to have to tell people about Jesus, we've got to remember, don't we, that we can't convert anyone None of this depends on you or on me. And we really mustn't act as though it does. Of course, we want to work hard at presenting the gospel clearly. That's why we we thought last week about the message of mission. Of course, we want to put on uh, good, attractive events that people might want to come to, like Roots of Jazz in a few weeks' time. But as we do those things we have to remember that the results, they're not down to us. People's salvation doesn't depend on our ability or our skill. But as Paul has repeatedly said in this passage, it depends on God's power. And so if you're here this evening and you you generally feel a bit weak when it comes to evangelism, if you worry about telling people the gospel, if you're not sure about your ability to to express it or to speak it clearly if you're not convinced that you've got the answers to all the big questions that people might ask. If you feel weak when it comes to evangelism, join the club. Join the club with me, with everyone else in this room, with Paul. Paul felt very weak. In fact, he didn't just feel weak, he knew he was weak. But he also knew that God works in power through the weakness of his people to bring people to salvation. And so as we head into Easter weekend, as we think about our passion for life, and beyond all of that, we need to pray that God would use us in our weakness to bring people to himself. Should we pray that together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this liberating truth that it is in your power that people come to new life. It is in 
your spirit's power, that you open blind eyes, that you bring people from death to life, that you transform uh, hard hearts to hearts of flesh that will receive the Lord Jesus and believe in him. That is all of your work, Father. And so again, we pray this evening, Father, that as we think about what it is to be mission-minded, what it is to proclaim Christ, that all of our confidence would be uh, not in ourselves, but in you. Father, thank you that you choose to use weak and foolish people like us to present your powerful gospel to a hopeless world. And we pray that as you do that, even in these next few weeks, you would bring people to new life in Christ for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.